It's time for another episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. And now, coming to the mic, your host, Chuck. Have you ever seen a piece of railroad track or a, a railroad tie or maybe one of those brushes in a car wash and wondered what happens to all of that stuff once it's uh, reached its useful life? Well, our guest today on Espresso Yourself with Chuck has an incredible business that can probably, um, he can tell you what some of those new uses are and about an, an interesting business that he created. I'm really pleased to welcome Damon Carson, who is the founder and president of Repurposed Materials. Damon, welcome. Thanks, Chuck. I'm excited to be on the show. Well, first of all, I, I, I really want to dig into the the business and how it started, but let's let's talk about you a little bit first. Tell us about growing up, where you did did that, and and kind of how you got to that point in your life where you were ready to strike out and figure out what your future looked like. Yeah, so grew up in central Kansas, little town called Ellenwood, uh, Barton County near Great Bend, born and raised. My mom still lives there and grew up with a business owning father. And I just, I guess I always had that entrepreneurial yearning, drive, ambition. Certainly didn't know what it would someday look like, but I knew that I didn't want to stay in my dad's business because it was a small light construction business and it just the industry the business didn't fascinate me with that specific product or service but owning a business certainly captivated me grew up very much rural environment though again we didn't live on a farm but in rural america small town you know lots of small you know one two three four employee business owners so i just always thought that was interesting and i thought i wanted to be one of those people Got it. So uh, you graduated from Ellenwood High School, and which is uh, the alma mater, I believe, of Todd Fertig, who's on our JAG K staff. I assume that's where you all met. Yep, um, we were we were best buddies growing up. Yep. Excellent. I've actually been in the Ellenwood parade a long time. Wow, that's uh, is that that's right up there being asked to be in the Rose Bowl parade. I think <laughs> pretty pretty similar. Yes, I've never been in the Rose Bowl though. So. Um, so what did you do after Ellenwood High School? So went off to college. Um, that was, you know, kind of what my parents wanted us to do. We can, at some point, make a note, Chuck, I'll get back to that. But that's what I did. I went off to college. I went to a Bible school a year in Canada, then came back and finished my degree at Oklahoma Baptist University. My degree happens to be marketing. And it was at that point where I didn't know what the heck to do. You know, you got this piece of paper, you want to be a business owner, but I think it was looking back, it's one of the scariest times in life. And it was actually Todd Furtick, who you just referenced. He said, hey, Damon, if you're not doing anything, let's go to Vail, Colorado, ski resort and be ski bums for a winter. So that's what I did right after college. And I would say that has nearly zero to do with starting a business. Although if you ask some more questions, it, there's a progression. Well, let's talk about that. After you received your degree from OBU, the the bison, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
I've visited a few times, um, had good friends that, that, that attended. So you went to be a ski bum, still wanting to start a business. Apparently you didn't start a ski business or maybe you did. Uh, so what, what happened that got you to starting the business that you have? And we want to talk more about that, but what transpired between being a ski bum and starting your first business? Did you have some other jobs? Did something uh, come up in your life that took you down another path that you had to kind of go back and get on a different path? Tell us about that journey. So, yeah, a couple of things were real formative in that age 22 to 25 time frame. Um, one of them was, I think one of the hardest things is I want to own a business, but what business? I mean, I think that's, I'm always jealous of people college that I went to school to be a nurse. Well, guess what the career track is? You become a nurse. I went to college to be an architect. Guess what the career path is? You become an architect. You know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, a business owner, that narrows it down, but not really, you know, do I want to want to own a bicycle store? Do I want to be a roofer? Do I want to on and on and on? And so that was part of the dilemma. One of the things that I think is I would encourage any would-be entrepreneur. It's funny, I'm speaking next week at Tabor College there in Kansas. They've asked me to come in for business week to be a speaker. Um, and one of my pieces of advice is going to be, I think, how can you practice being an entrepreneur? How can you practice, you know, kind of stick your toe in the water? One of the things I did it, I now look back with retrospect on probably the wisdom in it, but I would say one of them is Take a straight commission sales job. And you are going to learn real quick if you have any business savvy, if you can learn to deal with very erratic income, because some weeks you sell a lot and some weeks you sell nothing. And so I think that's a good practice. So that was my first real job in the ski resorts is I actually was selling on straight commission kitchen cabinets to the building industry. If I sold something, I made money and some paychecks came with a big old fat zero on them because you didn't sell anything that week. So, and I've got some other ideas, but how can you dabble? How can you practice? How can you stick your toe in the water? So that was actually my first real job. And I, I think that was, in hindsight, it was great practice. Uh, like, do I really have chops to be a business owner? Well, and so obviously sales is, uh, especially straight commission, you know, you, you eat what you catch, I guess. And, um, but, but how did that, uh, certainly I would think motivation, but as far as, as learning how to run a business, what did that teach you? Or is that a lesson you learned in the next job? And was there a next job before you started your own company? Um, there was, and what I will tell you is I absolutely failed at my straight commission sales job. So I, I quit after nine months, I was broke and I wasn't making any money. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I went to college to be a business owner. Hopefully here's my first real sales job. And I met with lack of success. And I mean, I was defeated from a business career perspective thinking, oh, maybe the business world isn't for me. I didn't do it. Uh, my mother at the time gave me some very good wisdom. She said, Damon, just go get a manual labor job 
and just go swing a hammer. So I went and framed houses um, for you know a few few months just to to clear my head. And what was interesting about it is, so in the midst of that failure, it took me a few weeks, a few months, but the fire came back. You know, it it was just a flicker, but then it started burning hotter and hotter. And I I I learned that I had a real passion for business. One of the things that I learned was. I needed to buy an existing business that had existing cash flow, had existing customers because in my sales job, I was giving a territory and no leads. You just have to start from scratch. And I, that was very hard for me emotionally. It's, it's just very hard. So I thought, well, I narrowed the world down. Instead of doing a startup, I need to look for a business to acquire. So that was one of the big, big takeaways from my little <laughs> practice of selling kitchen cabinets and and what was that business um so in the ski resorts i was intelligent enough to know there were big things happening the economy was booming this was the late 1990s um so there was really there's two industries in the ski resort there's the actual recreation business and then there's the real estate you know buying and uh, building apartments, leasing apartments. And so those are the two big industries. And funny enough, that framing job, I, I ended up being an assistant superintendent on a job the whole time wanting to be a business owner. I read two books. I say I could have saved four years and countless thousands of dollars by reading those two you know, $12 books instead of all I did. So that would be my plug for... If you have entrepreneurial aspirations, I would think very seriously about not going to college. Now, I will not say that at Tabor next week, but um, yeah, I, I, I think it was unnecessary. And so I read a book about Warren Buffett, and I read a book about um, how to buy real estate with no money down. Now, I don't advocate necessarily buying real estate with no money down, but I learned more in those two books and synthesizing those two books than I did in four years of business school. Um, oh, this is how you do it. Oh, you know, it's just like the the curtains parted and I could see, oh, this is how it's supposed to line out. So funny, I want to be a business owner. I'm in a resort. It's booming. But, you know, I'm not a licensed plumber. I'm not a licensed electrician. I certainly don't have enough money to go build a, a motel or a condo and as pg-13 as this is i was literally in our portable toilet on our job site the portable toilet and i said boom every job site construction site needs a portable toilet and i don't think i need a college degree or a license to be able to you know be in this business and so I went and made a phone call to that business owner and said, would you be interested in selling your business? Because again, based on the CANAC, the, the cabinet experience, I would rather buy this portable toilet business, trash business, than go start one from scratch. And long story short, they agreed to sell. And that was my first in-business sign that I got to hang. Wow. So when you started that, you had to get the capital 
somewhere. Um, so you had to figure out where to get the money to buy it. And then over what period of time did you have your plan in place knowing, okay, it's going to take me this many months, um, you know, as far as cash flow and, and that type of thing. And is that a lesson you learned from one of the two books or? Yeah. Uh, so, so the price that the seller put on the business was more than I was 26 at the time. My wife and I new wife, it was more than we could afford. We could afford a percentage of it. He did offer with a third down payment, he offered to finance two thirds of the business, which I can explain that if that's sure, no, you know, important to the conversation. In other words, the seller became the banker. Yes. But I still we didn't have enough money for the for the down payment, so we had to go find a partner, a financial partner, that actually ended up becoming an active partner. So it was I got you know two things out of the deal. But yeah, so it started out as a solo venture. I couldn't afford to buy the business as a young person by myself. I had to go, in a sense, raise capital. And is that something you learned about in one of the two books that you read? Or um, yeah, I, I don't know that there was a specific point in time, but I, I I was just constantly reading. I mentioned those two books. Another plug: I've learned more from Forbes magazine than I mean. It's just. Now, the media has changed. Forbes magazine's not what it was, but I would encourage anybody really interested in business, go to eBay and buy a bunch of old Forbes magazines 10, 20, 30 years ago for a dollar each or whatever they sell for. If you really study those, because what a Forbes magazine is, is it, they're, they're just case studies. What's an MBA program today? It's high-priced case studies. So just go buy a cheap Forbes magazine and just read a bunch of case studies and you start training your mind how business people think and strategies and opportunities. And so, you know, somewhere in reading Forbes or, you know, I thought, well, you learn how to start negotiating deals. And as a business owner, you're your own, well, we'll simplify this and say you're your own boss. So you're not looking for someone that has a four-year degree. You want to know, you already know what you feel like you need to know the business started and operate the business because you've done that research. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a business owner now for whatever, 26 years. Never one time have I had anybody, somebody that I'm trying to do business with ask me if I have a college degree. Never once have they asked. They just ask, you know, can you do it? What's your price? We'll hire you. And if you perform, you know, you're going to get another opportunity. So I think a college degree is important in some things, nursing, engineering. I would say it's, frankly, it's of little to no value in business ownership. So you, you bought the first business and then did you turn that into your current business or was there another step? Yeah, so the garbage business, which is, so it was partly portable toilets, the big roll off trash dumpsters. We actually, four years later, sold it to waste management, who many have heard of, you know, Fortune 500 company that, so, yep, so we had an exit, you know, we, they wrote us a check and we were out of the business. And then I, at that point, I was 30 years old and had a couple of nickels in the bank and, you know, life became a little bit different. So then, whereas acquisition number one, I had no money, I had to find a partner, then you have, you know, you have a little bit of a piggy bank. So, you know, things change a little bit. But 
Um, one of the sad things is, so we invested in four different things coming out of the trash experience. And my 30s decade was a desert. I mean, everything we invested in, all four of those, either didn't either stayed even or lost money. So here we kind of did really well with the trash business and then the next four things. And and one of the, my, our accountant at the time, he was an old savvy guy, probably in his 70s. He just said, you know, Damon, you know, you're in a very dangerous spot. You know, you you, you think you know it all because you have did well on round one. And and I think looking back, that was really healthy advice because I got sobered up real fast in my 30s because running a finding, buying and running a successful business, it's America is built on capitalism. It's built on competition. You know, on the NFL on Sunday, there's 32 teams playing 16 games. Half the teams lose every Sunday. And, you know, that's kind of the way business is. So, so the, the decade of the thirties, not as, as good, although you may have learned some lessons, how did you start repurposed materials? What, how did that all come about? Where, where was the, the idea? What? Yeah. So I, I, I joke my Reese's moment where the chocolate meets the peanut butter. So what I've already described, the waste business was my chocolate that was going to the landfill every day, opening up the trash truck and out slides a lot of stuff that shouldn't be going in the trash. That's where I learned that America, the land of abundance is just extremely wasteful. And that was very sobering. So that's the chocolate. Then by personality, I, I'm cheap, I'm tight, I'm frugal. I have what I call the used mentality. So brief description, the used mentality, if you want a bicycle to bike around the lake, most people go to Amazon, they go to a bike store, they go to Walmart and buy a brand new bicycle. People with my personality, used economy, they go to Facebook marketplace, they go to Craigslist and use look or a garage sale and look for a used bicycle to bike around the lake. So that's the Reese's or excuse me, excuse me. That's the, the peanut butter. So the collision of the chocolate and the peanut butter was, I had a guy, unrelated businesses, one of the fours that lost money. In fact, this was the business that lost the most money. We had a high-end airbrusher painter and he was walking out one day and he just casually said, hey, Damon, if you ever get a chance to buy an old advertising billboard vinyl, the billboard vinyls are what's on the sides of the highways that advertise Budweiser, Chevrolet, Coca-Cola. He said, when they're done with them, it's a printed picture, yes, but it's just a big piece of waterproof vinyl. They make a great drop cloth for painting. That was the Reese's moment. My waste, knowing about the waste of America, my used mentality, I was like, oh my goodness. So now, the Eureka moment, the Reese's moment, whatever you want to say. So I made three phone calls, as I recall, and I found 20 used billboards for sale. I do remember I paid $7 each. So I started repurposed materials with $140, a very, very different startup capital than when we bought the trash business. Um, you know, probably, probably half your students have 50 bucks in the bank. So they're, they're halfway to start in repurposed materials. So just to start a business doesn't have to, doesn't require huge amounts of capital, depending on what you do. But I had no grand vision that this would become. I, I call it 
my NBA word is entrepreneurial screwing around. I thought, can I buy these 20 billboards, $7 each? I put them on Craigslist for $50 each and they started selling. And I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of fun. This is kind of cool. At best at that moment, I was like, oh, this could be a fun little side hustle. Um, you know, and I bring home, we, we didn't, we weren't incorporated. We didn't have a business name. I mean, nothing of that. It was just in essence, starting it out of your garage, even though I started out of a warehouse that was a different business that we owned. but, and then one product led to conveyor belting that, you know, and pretty soon it was probably, so that was sep the billboards were September of 2010 January of 2011, so whatever that is, four months later, I hired my first part-time employee, and then it's just, and I think I should, this was a startup. I mean, I started from scratch. The trash business was an acquisition where I bought an existing business. Two very different ways to enter the business world. Um, but yeah, you know, a startup you a lot of times don't have to have much capital because you only have to have enough capital to produce your first widget that you sell and then you know kind of reinvest but there's also more risk in a startup so anyway i'll let you ask more questions instead of just talking well so uh just when you said you had the warehouse as part of or storage space as part of one of the other businesses were all four businesses still operating when you started the 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 repurposed materials or was that was were two of them still going or um no i think they're all still going at that point okay um, they, were, they were all <laughs> they were all in various states of suffering okay okay so um but you had a sizable or at least big enough for billboards um <laughs> to store those um, at what point did this become, uh, more than a side hustle because you, you saw some other things that had after, after use value, um, did you just ultimately shut down the other four businesses and then focus on this one? Um, and then I want to talk a lot more about the current business and, and what you're doing. Cause we're yeah, kind of sure. I mean, you know. So eventually, when we realized that I use a, a horse racing, when I realized that, so <laughs> the trash business was a thoroughbred. When I realized that repurposed materials was also a thoroughbred, then we got rid of our Shetland ponies, which were the, the four businesses that we owned. You're not going to win the Kentucky Derby riding a Shetland pony. Got it were you able to keep what there was an asset at least with one of the businesses with the with the warehouse um were you able to in any way use assets from those other four businesses to help uh grow repurposed materials um yeah they they were unrelated enough that no okay. I mean, other than the, no the building. yeah okay so you saw that you had a thoroughbred uh with this new startup how many so just to explain a little bit more what you do like the the billboards they had another use um after their life as a billboard and can you tell us some of the other things early on that you discovered that had a market like people would use these things for 
a different purpose than originally intended. So you you were close in in the very intro. You talked about the the brushes from a from a car wash. That's in fact inaccurate. They were brushes from streets street sweepers. Street sweepers, yes. But you know that was one of that you know the spring of eleven. A woman calls and says, "Hey, do you ever get old street sweeper brushes?" And I was like, "No. Why would I want? Why you know what would you do with that?" And he said, "Oh, they make great back scratchers for livestock." And so just by listening to that customer, we developed a new product line. So, and we still still street sweeper brushes, use street sweeper brushes today. I mean, we sell them to zoos and bison owners and horse people, you know, around the United States. So, you, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Well, I was wondering, so you developed that. Somebody told you that it, you know, there might be another purpose for it. Do you always develop the the next product for that that thrown out item or do you sometimes just get the items and determine that there's a market for it later yep so with our repurposing so there's this story can split up a couple of different ways at this point as we've grown mm -hmm. but with repurposing so our model still is today is we look for materials that are generic, versatile, and adaptable. Generic, versatile, and adaptable, meaning they can get used in multiple ways. So if we find a waste material that is those three words, generic, versatile, and adaptable, we will gamble on it. And we will make a deal for it. We'll bring it to one of our six warehouses across the country. And then we will start broadcasting and telling multiple industries across the nation, hey, we've got this interesting generic, versatile, adaptable material. What's interesting is we never know, is it going to be the cranberry farmer in Wisconsin, the copper miner in Arizona, or the golf course superintendent in Florida, who's ultimately going to raise their hand and say, hey, I can use that widget from whatever industry. So I think that's a misconception that think we come up with all these great ideas before we, you know, in fact, we don't. We we gamble on materials that are generic, versatile, adaptable, and you know, certainly over time, we've gotten more and more and more confidence that, you know, if it's a generic versatile adaptable and you price it right, sometimes it, it takes a while to dial in the pricing. You know, at what point will somebody in some other industry buy this? But if it's a generic versatile adaptable, you can rehome it over time. And your first location was in Colorado. And so... um did you have to have a, a network in place before you went to the second location and then up to the sixth or because I'm wondering how did you broadcast this message to people that you had these materials? How did you build that network? How, how did that all happen? Is there a natural network somewhere? Well, so, you know, it's called advertising, you know, <laughs> whether you advertise in the Denver Post or on Craigslist. I mean, there's lots of ways to spend money on that. Well, there's too many ways to spend money on advertising, but you know, it's just building a brand, building awareness for, hey, I've got, well, it's no different than the kid in the lemonade stand. You don't put the lemonade stand in the backyard because there's going to be no drive-by property. You got to put the lemonade stand out on the curb where people are driving by. I mean, that's just, that's marketing. Sure. No, I just wondered if you've got a bunch of convey old conveyor belts, like how do you know who to advertise to, or is it just a broad, like- Yeah, you, well, if it's generic, you just, you just tell a bunch of people and just tell a bunch of different industries. You know, put an ad on Facebook Marketplace, you know, Craigslist. This is what we have. And people browsing for looking for a deal. Well, yeah. What has been the 
most unique material or object that you have found and what was the most unique repurposed object or, or material well right now i am working on a deal that may be the most crazy waste stream we've ever said yes to in fact we're probably picking up the first truckload next week we had a company in the death care industry reach out to us the death care industry like dead bodies mm -hmm. and they have ten thousand quantity ten thousand they call them liners but basically it's a polyurethane crate that you put a dead body in you put it in the mausoleum and that's what the dead body lists you know rests in for the next 300 years well they over ordered they have 80 truckloads 80 truckloads of these and so but at looking on i think they're generic versatile and adaptable we're probably not going to sell them to the death care industry um so we might be on one of the most interesting ones we've ever taken on right now while we're taping this interview and if we do a follow-up next spring i might tell you you know don't ever buy these because they you know you can't rehome them or we might say oh my gosh who knew there's a great market for these wow so that's so that's could be one of the craziest ones we've done because so much of the crazy is the backstory one of the one of my most fun ones i think it's really simple it's concrete so this is multiple years ago we concast comcast cable provider reached out and said we got a bunch of these concrete pads you know four inch thick four foot by four foot concrete pads what we do with these is we take them out into the subdivision where the houses are and we drill holes in it we put the this is pre-streaming, so I guess that's important to, oh. to for people to understand. And we'll put our electronics equipment on it, and then we'll run wires out to each individual house to provide cable television, ESPN, CNN, Fox News, etc. For whatever reason, they were done with these concrete pads. As I recall, it was like two semi-loads. So we brought them in. I was thinking, you know, generic versatile adaptables. Somebody will be able to figure out what to do with these. That one did not take very long. It was seemed like it was within a month, a trucking company, a motor freight trucking company reaches out and says, we'll buy them all. I said, great, you know, sign the paperwork. Of course, my next question is, what in the world is a trucking company going to do with a bunch of four inch thick? They probably weighed a thousand pounds a piece. Wow. I mean, it just, I was just like, and, and it's funny because we ship all the time. So I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with the trucking business. I was like, what are you going to do with these? He said, well, and this happened to be a Denver buyer. He said, well, we have a problem. On windy days, when we have not much freight in the truck going to Wyoming, our trucks blow over. He said, so I want to buy this concrete. So when I have a half full load and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour in Wyoming, I want to load my truck half full of concrete to be heavy so the truck doesn't blow over i mean it was a mind blow i mean it was just like how brilliant is that but one of the things i say about repurposing is i you know i know trucking somewhat well but i would have never thought about you need ballast or weight 
in a truck to keep it from blowing over. But when he saw that thing that was generic versatile adaptable, it was a solution for him. Wow. And so that was probably one of my more fascinating before and afters. The more interesting waste streams is, as I said, is, I don't know what we're even going to call them, these crypt vaults. I don't know what we're going to call them that are, so, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's crazy. It, and hopefully that will be a great success story. What, what is something that didn't work out very well that maybe you got four semi loads of something and it just, or, and maybe there hasn't been, maybe they've all turned into successes. Well, fortunately, way more successes than failures. Uh, you know, you have one thing just on this business specifically, you have to be good at saying no, choosing what, or the opposite of that, choosing, being very careful about what you say yes to. There, there's many things that, you know, we did rehome what we got, but we would not say yes to them again. Here's one easy one. Meets all the criteria, the generic, versatile, adaptable, um, lots of it across america escalator handrails the rubber things you hold on to at the airports at the shopping malls that's a wear part so they get replaced i mean there's miles and miles and miles of escalator handrailing getting landfilled every year so that's one that we haven't been able to solve that one i mean we can incremental i mean i don't have any in inventory but if dallas fort worth airport or laguardia or lax calls and says hey i got half a semi-load of escalator handrail, I'd probably say, no, thank you, because we've not cracked that nut. Got it. And where where are your other locations? You mentioned a few, but uh, Colorado, Texas, where else? Yeah, le left to right, Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Iowa, Ohio, South Carolina. Okay. Is there any reason you chose those states? Um, well, not the states specifically, but the regions, absolutely. If you put pins on a map, we're within, if you draw a 400-mile circle, which is about a day's truck drive, I mean, we, we are within a day's truck drive of the majority of the United States. So if somebody calls with stuff in L.A., it goes to or Arizona. If somebody calls from Boston, it goes to Ohio, Minneapolis, it goes to Iowa, et cetera. Right. And when did you officially start the business? Well, that's a good question. So was it the first product I sold? Was it the first employee I hired? Was it when we registered as a corporation? Let's go with first employee you hired. Um, it was January, four months later. Uh, I hired a stay-at-home mom, stay mom part-time to put Craigslist ads, to post Craigslist ads. And remind me what year that was. That was January of 2011. 2011. Okay. And so now, uh, 12 years later, how many employees do you have? So, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, it, it rained. I mean, low 20s. Approximately. Yeah. You know, low 20s. It's, it's interesting. People hear about six locations and they think, oh my gosh, you must have. But it's not a labor intensive business. Like the crest, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what do they say? My, my, my favorite type of labor is volunteer, um, volunteers. Um, but like the Crips, a great example, you know, we'll unload them and then they're going to sit there. I mean, it, it's just not an employee intensive business. It's a real estate intensive business because they've got to sit there or you got to have property to let them sit there. And then somebody's going to order 20 of them. That employee goes back out, gets on the forklift, loads 20 and 
then they go back to, you know, so it's not an employee intensive business, which is, as you said, not all bad. Right. What's the biggest challenge? Well, so in our business, you got supply and demand. So you got procurement, we call it procurement, the inbound source of materials and, you know, demand would be our customers to buy it. So I think right now, right now, demand's a little soft. I mean, I think it's, I mean, we're, we're trending below last year's revenue. I think it's, I mean, our business hasn't changed. Our pricing really hasn't changed. I think it's just the economy is softening, which I mean, doesn't make us unique, but so right now demand is the biggest problem. You know, we need more buyers. Now, sometimes it's the opposite. Oh my gosh, everything's selling. I got to go find more supply. So that, that could be said for any business, but in most businesses, I always give the ice cream illustration. If you want to start an ice cream store, it's pretty easy. You go visit three ice cream producers, you taste the chocolate, you know, the vanilla and the strawberry, and you pick which dairy and you start making ice cream cones. And when you're out of strawberry, you call them up and say, Hey, I need another five gallons of strawberry ice cream. And so procurement or supply is not that challenging in a business like ours, you know, supply is very challenging at times, but, but every business has its challenges. So it just happens to be procurement at times is a challenge here. Well, so I'm sure there have been many rewards from it. One, you got to own your business, which was a dream. Uh, you're keeping waste out of the landfill. Is there another reward to, to what you're doing with the business? So, yeah, I, I would actually, so we're talking primarily to teenagers. I'll, I'll make a little insertion here. So this business fits me by personality better than any business I've owned it. And, you know, so our kids are in their early twenties, young adults. And I tell them, Hey, it took me till I was 40 till I figure out what I really wanted to do. So our kids are hyperventilating, you know, 23, 24 and 25, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I said, well, it took me till 40 to figure out what I want to do with. So I, I would, I would urge that to, you know, just, you know, after I lost my sales job, well, I quit my sales job, that straight commission sales job. I thought my business career was over. <laughs> no, it wasn't, even though it felt like it at the time. So I love, I, it, it took this business to figure this out. I love to buy and sell. I, and, you know, a, a one word definition of that is I like to trade. I like to buy and sell. Um, another thing that's really people will ask me what what skills did you bring to this job repurpose materials that either there maybe it's obvious or not so obvious as to why you've been successful at this and i would say surprisingly and i would say absolutely it's my journalism skills that i brought to this job and i took a semester of journalism as a sophomore in high school and i would say for me and my business career, that's probably one of the most important, well, it's probably the most important classes I ever took. Notice I said sophomore in high school, not sophomore in college. Um, we happen to have an excellent journalism teacher, but but that's because what is journalism? It's you got to interview people. 
and then you got to retell stories. Well, so just like I, 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 the guy bought the concrete, I asked him what he was doing with it. So I interviewed him and then guess what? I just, I just retold the story to you just like a newscaster would. Yeah. So that's, it's just, it's fascinating. I would say nobody would ever guess in a hundred years that a journalism background has been a key, a major key to the success of this business. So one of the things that if I may just diverge and I tell Please. a lot of this, I will, I will do this at Tabor college next week. I think, I think so many people get hung up on, I want to be an electrician. I want to be an airplane pilot. I want to be a chef. I want to be, I'm not saying those are wrong questions, but I would almost submit, think about, make lists of what you do and you don't like, and don't think about an occupation. I like to work in teams. I like to work alone. I like to work in the mornings. I like to work at night. I like to travel. I like to be in the same office. I like to and just start putting a lot of likes and dislikes. I like to work with men. I like to work with women. I mean, it, I like to work where you can listen to your music. I like silence. I mean, it just, and then as you form those lists, then as you look at being an electrician, as you look at being an airplane pilot, as you look at, oh, wow, that kind of fits this list. An easy example, I want to be a bus. I, I like to drive. I like to drive. Great. Okay. If you like people, maybe be a school bus driver. If you don't like people, maybe be a truck driver. And, and I think it just kind of starts simplifying the, and, you know, another one I give is I want to be a pastry chef. Okay. Well, if you want to be a pastry chef and you hate early mornings, don't go work at a donut shop because you're going to have to get up at 4 a.m. And, you know, for a while, you're going to be able to get up and force yourself to get up, but it's kind of against your natural, you know, if you like late nights and you like pastries, go work at a restaurant that serves dinner, supper. And, you know, then you're getting off at 1, 1 a.m. And you could sleep in the next morning because you don't go to work until whatever, 2 p.m. So I think that's huge advice I would give your demographic students is just don't think about electricians. Don't think about nurses. You know, think about what you do in those occupations. I mean, nursing, do you like blood and guts? Oh, no, they make me vomit. Well, then maybe the medical profession isn't for you. Um, the second one I would say, so I'll put that in a box. The, the other one that I, the advice I give a lot is, I call it proximity. So, you know, there's some industries that you're just more attracted to. You know, maybe you love music, so you like concerts or a recording studio, or maybe you love, airplanes. So if you're going to be a janitor or an electrician or an accountant, because you've narrowed it down, well, go be an accountant. If you like airplanes, maybe get into a job at an airport as opposed to a hospital. If you really like sports, maybe go be an accountant for an athletic team. Or And so I've, I've heard it, this is not my phrase, but you know, the proximity principle, because, you know, if you're an accountant in an airport, you're going to learn a lot about airports. You might learn that, gosh, there's a better job at the airport than even accounting, but you would have never known about that other job if you would have been working at a hospital. So I think as young people, and I think, okay, here's one. So you want to get it. So you're 16 and, you know, the only jobs you can get are, are cafeteria food service jobs. Well, 
if you kind of think you like medicine, medical, instead of going to Wendy's, maybe try to get a job at food service at the hospital. So again, you know, you're still flipping a hamburger, serving a hamburger, but you're going to be talking to doctors and nurses all day long, and you're going to get more exposure to a field you want, or go do, if you like auto racing, go flip hamburgers at the racetrack. And I think that's, that, those are the, be the two kind of buckets that I would say, I mean, I think you can really start helping yourself and times will change. And you might think you like early mornings and you work an early morning job and you learn that I don't like that. I've heard it said that your twenties are all about learning what you don't want to do for the rest of your life. Um, well, those are, I kind of chased and went off on a tangent, but those are the two, two big things that I would suggest that when you're 16, 17, I mean, frankly, my dad's job was blue collar, manual labor, swinging a hammer. I learned I didn't want to be a manual laborer. That's something very valuable that I learned as a teenager. Yes. No, those are two great pieces of advice. Uh, we appreciate your time today to kind of wrap up. What do you do for fun? Well, it's a little bit sad, but I already kind of said it. I mean, I like to buy and sell and I like to buy and sell more than I like to play golf more than I like to fish. So a lot of weekends you'll find me working and a lot of people think that's just objectionable, but if I'd rather work than do woodworking project, is that bad? I don't know. I, so I do, I mean, I like sports. I play spike ball now, pickleball. I used to play basketball a lot, but I I'm one of the fortunate ones. I thoroughly enjoy my occupation. So a lot of evenings, I just go back home and I turn on my computer because I told you, I confessed, I like to buy and sell things. So I'm on eBay. I'm on an auction site trying to find something to buy. I think that's what everyone should be looking for. The job that's not a job, right? <laughs> Most people aren't lucky enough to do that, but that's a passion. I, I, I am. A, I, I do count my blessings in that area. Well, Damon, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, we'll put your website up so people can see some of the unique um, uh, repurposed uh, materials that that you've developed and uh, really appreciate the advice. You gave a lot of excellent advice for our students. Is there anything we didn't cover that either you're going to um, share and we don't want to take your whole Tabor speech, but anything else that that I didn't ask that that you wanted to share, I think you've already provided us with a lot of wisdom. Um, well, no, it's been a good rehearsal of what I'm going to have to say, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to be staring at 75 students while I do it. And now I'm just staring at you, Chuck. Yes. And I'm sorry you had to do that. <laughs> no, I think you've asked. I think it's been a very well-rounded conversations. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we have a round two in six months. Um, good. But yes, yeah, I will find out what happens to those liners. Yeah. It could be a great failure story or it could be a great success. I, yeah. It, it, I have no idea how to project at this point. Well, thanks. And thank you for joining us for Espresso Yourself with Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks for watching Espresso Yourself with Chuck. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you will subscribe to the channel and also check out all the videos on our Jobs for America's Graduates Kansas YouTube site.
Music for Espresso Yourself with Chuck is provided by Ben Sound Music at bensound.com. Thank you to our announcer, Kelly Newton, and producers Kim Fertig and Don Neer.